Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good morning, everyone. It is Sunday, March the 6th, 2022. It is currently 9, 11 a.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Empty Sanctuary of Victory Baptist Church located right here in the middle of nowhere, Texas. And we, we only have a short amount of time for this live broadcast because sometime around 9.30 a.m., around, now I know that's probably being... I'm being too positive because the reality is in many cases, no one shows up till like, you know, 10, 10 a.m. when Sunday school is actually supposed to start at 10. But when you are a small church in the middle of nowhere, all you can do is just wait until people show up and then you start. But but I want to at least be ready. I'm going to have I'm going to have a positive attitude and believe that by 945 a.m., everyone's going to be here. Okay, okay, that's, I'm probably just setting myself up for discouragement, but I still want to be done by 9.30 so that um, I can get everything ready. So that means I have a limited amount of time. So here's what I want to do. Just briefly this morning, I want to have you turn your attention back to the famous, famous, famous book, The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. We've been working on this book now, I think literally for, I think, two years. I'd have to go back and figure out when the first one was preached. But it's been about two years. And we've been working and working on the imitation of Christ. It's a, a very impo- a very famous book, a, a very famous book, a very popular book um, in the history of Christianity. Uh, thank you, Twyla. Twyla says she'll try to be here by 10. Yeah, 10, 15, 10, 30, just whenever people show up, okay? But in the meantime, while, while she's getting ready to be here by 10, let's turn our attention to chapter seven of book two of The Imitation of Christ by Thomas Akempis. We won't, we won't advance this very far, but it's just, it's always a, a great book just to, to open, to turn your attention back to spiritual things. I don't have time to go back over the history and everything, but if, if you would like to listen to the series, you should, because I think you'll find it to be very interesting. All right, but here we go. We we started this chapter and we got convicted very early on, all right? Chapter 7, Book 2, The Imitation of Christ, Thomas Akempis. I'm on page 74 in my edition. This is how it reads. Blessed is he who understands what it is to love Jesus and to despise himself for Jesus' sake. Do, do, So the question is, do you understand this morning what it is to actually love Jesus and despise yourself? I will argue you will never love Jesus until you despise yourself, right? And the more you love Jesus, the more you will despise yourself. It's kind of like a very important circle. You, until you truly despise yourself, Jesus will never truly become lovely, right? He's lovely because you see that in yourself, there is no help. There is nothing but sin and you deserve judgment and condemnation. Whenever you can come to a point where you truly feel that you despise yourself until you you fully feel that, I don't know if Jesus will ever become lovely to you. And the more Jesus becomes lovely, the more you will despise yourself. If, if you don't despise yourself, Jesus is just, oh, you know, okay, Jesus, America, 
Texas, where, you know, okay, Jesus, you know, the Bible, it's just something that's okay. It's okay. You don't hate it. You don't despise it. You're not against it, but you're just, it's just kind of there. But when you find yourself in the pigsty, when you find yourself in the, the, the scandal of your own sin and you're shamed, you're filled with shame and embarrassment and you realize how much you've messed up. At that point, Jesus becomes the most lovely thing in the world. Sometimes the church doesn't become very lovely. Sometimes the Christians are the last people you want when you find yourself laying in the pigsty covered in the shame of your own sin. Sometimes the last place you want to go is to a church because they judge, condemn, yeah, they, they, they're, sometimes they're not there to, to bring you Jesus. They're there to bring you condemnation. But when you feel that, you can run to Jesus and there's sin, there is salvation, there is, there is a forgiveness for your sin, there is a, a cleansing that comes because in Christ there is perfect forgiveness, all right? So a lot more we, we could go in there, but we continue. You ought to leave your beloved for your beloved. You are to you are to leave your beloved for your beloved. You are to leave what you beloved what that, that thing you beloved the most for your beloved. What is Thomas Kempis trying to say? You have to leave your beloved which is you. You love yourself for your beloved. You need to leave that which you love which typically is yourself for the thing that you should love the most. All right, and then there's a lot of scripture he gives here. For Now listen, for Jesus will be loved above all things. So you ought to leave your beloved for your beloved or you should leave your beloved for your beloved, depending on how you want to, to say the word. But you ought to leave it. You got to leave the beloved for your beloved. You have to leave it. And, and, and that's just a powerful statement. You got to leave what you love for the thing you should love. The love of things created is deceitful and inconstant. The love of Jesus is faithful and preserving. He who cleaves unto a creature shall fall with that which is subject to fall. He who embraces Jesus shall be made strong forever. Now, we talked a a lot about this the last in part one, so I'm just going to advance it and try to at least get us the next paragraph before I have to stop. All right, here we go. Just anytime I read that paragraph, it is, well, there's just so much. Here we go. Love him and keep him for your friend who when all go away will not forsake you nor suffer you to perish in the end. Sometime or other, you must be separated from all, whether you will or no. Keep close to Jesus, both in life and in death, and commit yourself unto his faithfulness, who, when all fell, can alone help you. All right, let's let's go through this just as slowly as we can. Love Christ, love him, and keep him for your friend. So, so love Jesus and keep him for your friend. That, that's, that, that's what Thomas Kempis tells us to do. Who, when all go away, that at some point in your life, it's going to feel like all abandon you, all fail you, all let you down. That may even include the church. 
Because the church is made up of sinful people. The church has always been imperfect. It will always be imperfect. If you, if you look for the church, sometimes here's what I think happens. Sometimes people, they place the church in the place that Jesus should be. And when the church doesn't do what the church should, they blame Jesus. The church is always a poor representation of Jesus. It always has been. It always will. The church has always been filled with sinners, with scandal, with division, and with failure. Don't look to the church to give you what you can only find in Jesus. Sometimes people become discontented with the church, blame that on Christianity, and then abandon Jesus. Don't allow your discontentment or your frustration with the church to to have any say-so on Jesus because the church is never a good representation of it. So love Christ, keep uh, keep him as your friend. When all go away, he will not forsake you nor suffer you to perish in the end. Others will go away. You can almost guarantee that at some point in life, you will be abandoned and betrayed by someone. Sometime or other, even Thomas Kempis says this, sometime or other, you must be separated from all, whether you will or not. At some point in your life, you're going to be separated from everything, whether you want to or not. Something's going to happen in your life. When at that, what are you going to turn to? What are you going to cling to? If you try to turn and cling to people, many cases, they will let you down. Then you will become bitter. You will become filled with depression, discouragement, and anger. Don't look to people. People can't give you what Jesus can. Don't look to them to do that. If you're looking for sinners to give you what you think you want or need, all you're going to get is sin (laughs) that's what you're going to find. What you're going to find in any person ultimately is sin. We shouldn't be surprised there. Sometime or other, you must be separated from all, whether you will or no. Keep close to Jesus, both in life and in death, and commit yourself unto his faithfulness, who when all fell, Thomas Kempis doesn't say if all fell, but when all fell, can alone keep you. He can keep you. He can keep you. So sometimes we have to ask ourselves, have we placed, think of it this way. Sometimes we have to ask ourselves, have we put other institutions or other people in the place of Jesus? I don't think we do it intentionally. But we, 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 we look, what, what we should look to Jesus for, we end up looking for that in other people. We look for happiness, contentment, joy. We look for, we look for so many other, we look for so many things that we should only find in Jesus in other people. And then when we don't get it, then we get discouraged and frustrated and upset. We're looking in the wrong place. And when we look in the wrong place, well, we are end up very much discontented, very much upset, and very much discouraged. I almost want to stop there, but I'll read one more paragraph. Your beloved 
is of that nature that he will admit of no rival, but will have your heart alone and sit on his throne as king. If you would empty yourself perfectly from all creatures, Jesus would willingly dwell with you. Now, there's a little bit of the kind of a Catholic works-based mentality coming into play there. Jesus is always with us, all right? So it's not about, but if we want a close fellowship with him, Jesus is of the type that he will have no rival. He's of the nature that he will admit of no rival. Jesus doesn't tolerate rivals. But we bring in rivals. We bring in those things that we almost want. It's almost like we bring in other things. And without saying it, we almost look to other people like, you be Jesus. You be the friend who will never let me down. You love me perfectly. You do this. You do. And it's like, well, that's we're looking in the wrong place. If you empty yourself perfectly from all creatures, do you think you've ever emptied yourself perfectly from all creatures? You've perfectly emptied yourself from the need for other people. You, you've perfect. You've emptied yourself perfectly. You're not dependent upon them. You're not. You're not. You're not almost. You. You. you need them, desire them. You've almost completely emptied yourself of that. And so that Christ is now your beloved. Christ is what you desire. Christ is what you need. Now, it doesn't mean we then turn our, that we hate people and we don't care for people. It's just, there's a, there's a, a freedom from the need for others. If we don't reach that point, then I think we end up, we we have a hard time finding balance, right? If we don't empty ourselves in a sense from all other creatures, we tend to take those other creatures, whomever they may be, whatever the relationship may be, and place it where Jesus should be. It's like our, our need for other creatures typically creates a situation where we put them where Jesus should be. It, it kind of goes, you know, you can't lie, you can't love God and mammon, you know, that, that kind of concept. It's almost like we have a hard time. Once we find other people we love, we have a tendency to love them in a way that should be reserved for Jesus. Like we, we almost, and not just that we love them that way, we look to them for what we should only look to Jesus for. That's, an, that's an, an, a powerful phrase. Let me read it to you one more time because I, I don't know if, we, if we've ever thought about that. Empty yourself perfectly from all creatures. Empty yourself perfectly from all creatures. I wonder how, how much do other creatures, how much do, do other people negatively impact our spiritual lives? We, we know there's a danger of trying to please others, 
right? Uh, Paul makes the idea that if you're going to be a man pleaser, then, then, then there's no point in following Christ. You, if you're going to follow Christ, you can't be a man pleaser. So, so we know that there's a there's clearly a spiritual danger. Like if we if we were make a list of spiritual dangers of things that would be detrimental to our spiritual life, I wonder where we would should rank other people. Now everyone has their their things that cause them the most problems in their spiritual life. I just don't know if we've done how other people damage our spiritual life. Now, we, now we're responsible. Let, let me make it very clear. I don't want to. I don't want this to turn into an, an, an opportunity for you to blame everyone else for every spiritual problem you've ever had. But I think we can always trace a lot of our spiritual problems to someone else, to another person. Another person who may even claim to be a Christian who then undermines your Christianity. Now you let them. You're responsible. So I don't want in any way to make the excuse, but you you would hope that sometimes other people would not undermine your Christian life. Sometimes it's Christians who undermine your Christian life. Sometimes it's lost people. Sometimes it's 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 people who I think sometimes has a great a negative impact on our spiritual life. Now I think what we have to learn to do is we have to empty ourselves from all creatures, making sure that we put God first and then see everyone as an opportunity to minister and think of it this way, that every person is an opportunity to minister to and it's an opportunity to sanctify you. You will either, I think there's three options with people. You will minister to them or you will be sanctified by them, and, and both can happen there. So you're ministering to, being sanctified by, or three, you are being negatively, or you're being spiritually damaged by them. You're either ministering to them, you're being sanctified by them, or you're being spiritually hurt as a result of them. Now, sometimes you will see people as something simply to use as a means to an end. So I think either you're ministering to them, you're being sanctified by them, you are being hurt by them, or you are using them in a selfish way for your own, your own benefit. I think something we need to explore. We, we, may, we may need to spend some more time expanding that. All right, I'll stop right there. I want I want to I want to say so much more, but now I just looked at the clock and it's 9:29 a.m. So, I've got to get ready for the 10 a.m. service this morning. So, or 10 a.m. Sunday school hour. All right. I'll stop right there. Like like I I'm stopping, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the pews and kind of like, okay, someone say, "Ooh, that was really good," but there's no one here. So, I think that's really good. But it definitely needs some more time to, to flesh out. We, we just kind of barely laid down the skeleton there. And we just need to put some flesh on that because there's some very convicting things there. All right, I'll stop right there. Um, well, tune in again at around about 10, 10 a.m. Hopefully we'll go live and hopefully you'll enjoy the Sunday School lesson this morning. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.